The state of California leads the nation in more than a few categories, not the least of which is that it's the fifth largest economy in the world. It has stepped forward in many areas, including public policy, and has offered sweeping changes in environmental causes. Specifically related to the freight industry, the state took the chance to create massive changes to emission standards for trucks, so massive that some say they are unattainable in the time frame the state specifies. Nevertheless, several other states have followed suit with these same standards. Are they too high? Is the infrastructure going to be there? Will the rest of the nation get on board? We take a look at California's bid to clean up trucking next on Freight Waves Presents. And welcome to Freight Waves Presents. I'm Bill Priestley. On September the 12th, 1962, John F. Kennedy boldly said that the United States was going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. NASA then made that dream come true on July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong stepped off the ladder on that one giant leap for mankind. In the 21st century, however, the state of California has issued an its challenge of perhaps greater pressure by passing legislation uh, to phase out diesel-fueled trucks by 2045. It's a line in the sand that has drawn outrage on both sides of the aisle, outlandish from conservatives, and not enough from environmentalists. Let's take a look at what the state of California is proposing. On June 21, 2020, the California Air Resources Board, or CARB, passed the Clean Truck Rule, which states that manufacturers who certify Class 2B to 8 chassis or complete vehicles with combustion engines would be required to sell zero-emission trucks as an increasing percentage of their annual California sales from 2024 to 2035. By 2035, zero-emission truck chassis sales would need to be 55% of Class 2B to 3 truck sales, 75% of Class 4 to 8 straight truck sales, and 40% of truck tractor sales. The rule was very aggressive, but other states came on in support of it, and on April the 21st of 2023, Colorado became the eighth state and the first state not connected to an ocean to agree to it. On August 5th, 2021, the Biden administration passed an executive order saying that half of all vehicles sold in 2030 would be zero emission vehicles. Yet pushing the envelope even further, on April the 23rd, 2023, CARB passed the Advanced Clean Fleets Rule, which addressed drayage trucks turning into zero emission vehicles and fleets where a percentage of those vehicles must be zero emission in certain milestones in the near future. Box trucks, vans, buses with two axles, yard tractors, and light-duty package delivery vehicles had to be 50% zero emission in 2031 and 100% in 2035 and beyond. Work trucks, day cab tractors, and buses with three axles had to be 50% zero emission vehicles in 2033 and 100% in 2039 and beyond. And sleeper cab tractors and specialty vehicles needed to be 50% zero emission in 2036 and 100% zero emission in 2042 and beyond. Though all of these dates are aggressive in nature, the state may have made its most aggressive move by saying it would like to cut petroleum use in the state by 50% by 2030. Certainly a high bar to attain. We've got four people that have been covering this and have stories coming out this weekend, next week on this subject. Leading off will be John Gallagher, our Washington correspondent in Washington, D.C. We've also got John Kingston with us, our editor-at-large up in New York. Rachel Premack, our editorial director, also in New York. And Alan Adler, our Midwest bureau chief in Michigan. 
Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, John uh, Gallagher, let's start off with you. Uh, in terms of a baseline, uh, where we're at in terms of this entire thing, you've been covering this from a Washington perspective. Uh, what are the main milestones the Biden administration has laid out when it comes to laying out uh, emission standards, specifically for trucks, but if not for vehicles as well? Yeah, well, on, on, so on on the truck side, it's um, I know you guys were going to talk about the uh, the California rules, but on the um, sort of on the national scale, on on the whole clean the Biden administration's clean truck plan, they've got two um, two two major two major regulations. The first, the NOx rule, which actually came out um, was enacted in in, in March uh, or went into effect in March, um, and that deals with the um, the nitrous oxides. You know, those are the, basically the uh, the ground level type pollution that that causes respiratory and and other um cardiovascular diseases that people that can you know bring it to the hospital or or, or kill you and so uh, on the nox rule they dramatically tightened those standards um for heavy trucks starting in model year 2027 which is the same with the, the carbon rule that's not getting as much attention this um nox rule is not getting as much attention as the carbon rule um uh or the greenhouse gas rule basically because you know that's a that's a that's a final rule and first of all and plus also it's the technology used to filter out NOx emissions is already out there it's already um, being used on on diesel trucks but but in terms of the the, the carbon rule um, that rule was proposed by EPA in in this just this past April um, and that deals with the upper atmosphere pollution that's the stuff that that, that people worry about climate that causes people to worry about climate change but that. But the carbon emissions rule is much more transformative proposal in that it's going to require this move, as you uh, mentioned in the outset there, this move to um, all truck sales, zero emission by 2045. And the only, and the only way you can do that, at least for right, right now, is largely through um, battery electric uh, or, or hydrogen um, fuel cell electric vehicles. And I know you have, I, I don't know... You have some charts there. Yeah, when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, as you're mentioning, what's the EPA forecasting in terms of adoption rates for various kinds of trucks? And we got a couple of couple of charts here. Yeah, you have those slides there. So there, so there you can see the adoption rates, and you can see that uh, for for the um, the long haul trucking sector, the the sleeper cab, that has the the lowest the the um, slowest adoption rates, and then you can see for the light and heavy duty, that's that's the highest, and 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 it kind of moves up in terms of like the also you know those those light duty vehicles are the ones that have like short short haul back and forth where you know the uh electric where electric electric batteries kind of are kind of more fit into that sector mm -hmm. because because of the charging infrastructure there um and i and i guess you also there's another chart there yeah, when to jump there, we'll get into. I know we'll get into incentives a little bit later on with Alan. But you, you, this, this is this process cost prohibitive in terms of what needs to be done to meet compliance on a national level. And obviously, you've got some that list one here that that certainly shows a, a break in in uh, cost. Yeah, well, the trucking industry says you know the market demand is just not there yet because it, there's so much needs to be worked out by 2027 beyond, particularly when you're talking about long long haul trucking. Um, you know, the biggest impediment now is you know a new a new truck costs a new ev ev truck costs from what i understand like over four hundred thousand dollars and versus a new diesel truck which is you know closer to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. so right. um you know the range isn't there that the charging times are too long which eats, which eats into hours of service regulations um the batteries weigh a lot so that that eats into the amount of weight you can 
you can move, um, you can allow, allow on the highways, at least in terms of the, what, what the weight standards are now. Um, and that, and, um, and, and, and the whole issue, you know, there's no domestic supply chain that's in place for the minerals used to make the battery. So, you know, e- EPA acknowledges, you know, that both of these roles, you know, the natural and the carbon emissions rule are, are going to be costly, but, but in the long run, they say billions of billions of dollars, but, you know, particularly in healthcare and, um, social benefits. Now the political reaction, just to, to sort of wrap up the political political reaction to this has been on the natural Congress has, 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 um, in both houses of the Congress, they've introduced resolutions to basically nullify that Knox rule, um, and overturn it. But it's, it's seen more sort of as, as a, 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 a protest document because it really has no power to, to do anything. And plus the Dems won't support it and Biden would, wouldn't sign it anyway. But on the, on the carbon emissions rule, that's getting, been getting a lot of pushback and, um, not just from the trucking industry, but conservatives say EPA, EPA doesn't even have the um, power to issue a rule that is so uh, transform that that fundamentally changes the industry. So it, in such a transformative way. So answering that, that, that major question is doctrine. That's definitely true there too. Yeah. So right. So 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 that rule could actually get even if it passes, that rule could get challenged if it if it moves through as is. So that's sort of like kind of the state of play. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much, John. Let's move on to John Kingston, our editor at large, and had a chance to uh, look at the California Clean Fleets rule. And my first question to you, uh, John, what jumped out at you uh, first when you saw that this A, was up for possible passage and then obviously uh, last month became uh, the, the law of California? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it had been expected for a while. Of course, they pro- first proposed it a couple of years ago. Uh, the uh, provisional proposal that came out several months ago had minor changes and not all minor but so what they proved was well you know pretty much what they had already proposed the biggest hit is going to be on drayage the biggest short-term hit is going to be on drayage or after january after december 31st you can no longer uh register a internal combustion engine drayage vehicle with the state drayage registry it has to be zev uh the numbers here are that uh, the number of trucks that would be expected to kind of roll out of the registry anyway, just because they've gotten too old. Remember, California already has rules on a truck being uh, a certain uh, length of life uh, based on either mileage or years. Um, you're expected to probably get, you know, the high 7, 800, 7, 700, 800, maybe 1,000 trucks that would just roll out of the registry anyway. Uh, are there going to be a thousand ZEVs to take its place? I don't think anybody thinks that. Yeah. Uh, so you're no, you're going to get a, te- a test in drayage. Now, part of this may be offset by the fact that uh, traffic at the ports, you know, the, the Southern California ports, has fallen considerably. Uh, depending, almost really, no matter wh- how you measure it, obviously it's con- it's fallen considerably since the craziest days of the 2021-2022 uh, port backup. Uh, but how much of that is just a slowdown in freight traffic and how much of that are people just exiting the market because they just don't think they can make it given the new rules. But then you get that other reality, which is the market. And the fact is, if you've got an, an internal combustion engine drayage vehicle that, that can stay in the registry for another, let's say, nine or 10 years, if a lot of trucks exit the drayage registry, you might make a lot of money. And that might bring in some more vehicles, you know, maybe some ZEV vehicles. So you know, I, I always sort of have a, a tendency to think that the market will sort everything out. At the same time, this is just such a sweeping, uh, sweeping regulation uh, that involves, you know, rules on trucks, rules right. on fleet. Uh, and, and you've got to build a distribution system, as, as, as uh, John said, 
uh, to get the, 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 the fuel, whatever the fuel is. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. Let, let's move on. I know we're going to talk about drainage here in a little bit with, with Rachel. Uh, we do have a couple of those charts that we had at the open uh, in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the milestones that, of course, were important to this part as well. And as, again, we, those milestones include 25% of the fleet, 50% of the fleet, 75% of the fleet, and 100% of the fleet. Uh, looking at those types of things, uh, those types of aspects of it, you know, it, does this make it more manageable or does it look tougher in the long run to try and get to these things? Well, it's going to be tough no matter what, but let's remember something that, and I kind of learned this when I would uh, covered gasoline and, 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 and diesel uh, when I used to work uh, in the past on energy. And there were a lot of uh, emission rules that were going into place in the, the early 90s. And what I learned is that manufacturers, OEMs, do not want to make two cars. They don't want to make a car for California, and they don't want to make a car for the other 49 states. Now, in this case, it's not 49 versus one. I believe it's eight states that have already pledged to follow California's lead. So you've got California plus the other eight. Some of these other eight states are pretty big, like New York. Uh, at a certain point, they probably developed so much heft that the, uh, the, the OEMs that serve these markets will do everything they can to meet the requirements here. And they will probably start, I mean, it might, be get, it might get to be tough to buy an internal combustion engine tractor, uh, you know, class A tractor, if you're in Alabama. Maybe you can buy a used one, there might just not be a new one there. Just you know, do not discount the the eight hundred pound gorilla here. They 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 are as as you says the introduction said they are the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. You, you throw in the other states that are going to follow them. And this is a significant buyer of equipment mm -hmm. here. Absolutely. May, may you're also, you're also talking. I John I hate to cut you up, but again, also talking about California. That could also be the fourth largest economy if they pass Germany in the next few years as well. Let me move on here to Rachel Premack, who had. Uh, as a, a beautiful article coming out here on uh, drayage and what is what uh, uh, what's going on in that particular area, if you could just kind of go over a little bit again of what what how this is going to affect drayage fleets, not only the fleets themselves, but also a little bit about the areas around these ports, uh, especially in California, that your article points to. Yeah. So as John Gallagher and and John Kingston were discussing, the goal for for Southern California for these drayage trucks in California at large is to get to 100% uh, zero emission vehicles by 2035. That means 35,000, that's what the state of California is estimating right now, that means 35,000 zero emission drage trucks by 2035. But even before then, it starts to ramp up kind of slowly. We need uh, approximately 1,000 zero emission trucks by next year, 3,000 by 2025 and then up to 24,000 by 2030. And it makes sense why um, these laws would be pursued because of course, around the uh, ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, those aren't just port communities. There's millions of people who live in that area. And it's certainly an environmental and a health concern that we have all of these large diesel trucks driving through neighborhoods where people live and trying to figure out how can we coexist with this massive port that, um, you know, is driving so much import and export traffic out of the U.S. along with people who already live here and already um, need to coexist? And, of course, a lot of those people depend on the ports for, for jobs as well. Absolutely there as well. Um, when you uh, took a look at this and, and obviously took a, a great deep dive into this into your article there, do you get the sense 
um, that all of this, maybe not all of it, but perhaps a great deal of this incentive from the California legislature and, and Governor Gavin Newsom was targeting drayage because that seems to be a great amount of emphasis in what they're planning here. Yeah, it's I, I didn't get a sense of whether or not they were targeting drayage specifically, but that's certainly the most or, you know, one of the more active parts of California's trucking industry. You know, there are very few interstate trucking companies that choose to be based in California just simply due to the um, high cost of running a business in California. But if you are a drainage company, you know, serving the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, you can't really get around with not being based in California. So it makes sense that they would certainly be focusing more so on these drainage trucks than, you know, long haul trucks, for example. Sure. And looking at the areas around the ports, obviously the number one concern here is, is, is climate change, but also there's the pollution that can go in and around the areas around ports. And I know that you point to that uh, in your article that's coming out. And how exactly, I mean, obviously this is a good thing in some respects, but obviously a tremendous uh, headache to try and, and get through. Yeah, so as I, as I wrote in my article a bit that's coming out later this week, uh, a lot of this, a lot of this port and drainage traffic is going through towns in uh, Los Angeles and Orange County that are not are not you know high income or they're not high income areas. They're areas that where that tend to be majority minority. They tend to be lower income, and a lot of those families and children and residents are dealing with these loud, dirty trucks driving through their areas. Um. But at the same time, you know, these ports also provide a lot of important jobs for this for this region. So it's kind of a trying to strike this balance between how do we ensure that we still have this thriving port, but also ensuring that the people who live nearby are not, you know, seeing these elevated rates of asthma and other sorts of health concerns. The other kind of big concern with this law um, isn't is is actually with the people who work in the ports of LA and Long Beach themselves, those drainage drivers. In 2008, the last time we saw a major CARB rule to change the sort of drainage trucks used in these areas, a lot of these companies actually shifted to a lease-to-own model in which the cost of buying these new trucks was shifted onto the drivers themselves rather than the fleets themselves. And that caused, you know, a host of work-related issues for drivers in that area. That's, yeah, that's definitely going to be an issue there moving forward. Uh, let me move on to Alan Adler, who joins us from Michigan. Alan, uh, we've got the stick. The stick is definitely out, but is the carrot big enough? And we're talking about the incentives that it will take to get this moving. Uh, are they there? They are, uh, Bill. They're, they're definitely there. They're there in four areas, really. They're, they're for trucks, they're there for chargers, they're there for infrastructure. And then the one that's probably the hardest to explain is sort of cap and trade or the low carbon fuel standard, which is which is a, a way that these companies and especially some of the startups that are trying to install uh, charging sites are able to collect, uh, you know, the the, um, the the credits that go with the low carbon fuel standard. If you think back to how Tesla made its money originally, it was through selling credits. It wasn't through selling cars. So all four of those are in play. All four of those are very aggressive. At this point, um, I can't give you the exact percentage because it varies, but think about 30% in terms of the savings uh, kind of all in in terms of getting into it now. Here's the, here's the real trick, though. 
these will begin to phase out in some cases as soon as next year mm-hmm. when the regulation goes into effect because you cannot collect an incentive for something that's mandated. Okay. Yep. So that's a big deal. And it's kind of one of the discoveries that surprised me is that, you know, you're not going to see incentives forever. We always knew that, but you cannot get one if you are just complying with the regulation. The one way around that is to over comply. And that is buy more than you need right now. And then above the compliance level, you can still collect incentives. That's an interesting way to go about it there. You've got some interesting numbers here in a chart. Uh, that you got that shows total cost of ownership. And this is for a 20 truck operation. And these numbers are in millions of dollars. Correct me if I'm wrong here. The top shows the combustion truck fleet. The bottom shows the electric truck fleet and what you could save by moving towards uh, the, the ladder on the bottom. Yeah, look at the orange uh, the orange columns there. Those that's where your your news is because of incentives and because of what we just talked about with the low carbon fuel standard. You can see big drop offs, and you get out there to that blue bar, the dark blue bar uh, for total cost of ownership, and you can see that you're looking at uh, you know I can't even read it from here, but it's about half, a little less than half of what the diesel ownership costs. Now, is that a pie in the sky? It could be because these are moving numbers, moving targets. But I think this incentive environment really shows, and this again is you know, from San Diego Gas and Electric, which is one of the public utilities that is offering essentially free infrastructure. That is, when I say that infrastructure, that would be coming from your sort of your power line down to what's called the stub out or where you would connect an electric charger. Um, that's essentially free right now. Now, there's a lot of questions around how quickly they can do some of these projects. It's 12 to 24 months for a small operation. It could be it could be eight to 10 years if you had to put in um, uh, a new uh, transformer power station. So, uh, you know, there's a mismatch there. But but basically, uh, there is a lot of free money right now. Yeah. And uh, looking at kind of the, one of the areas of incentives that we haven't necessarily talked about, certainly on FreightWaves now, is the idea, of course, of incentives uh, for uh, recharging stations or incentives in in the energy sector as well. Uh, You said it's there. Um, Obviously, it's very hard to try and change things up when the fuel that you're going to use is not necessarily readily available. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, think, you know, uh, again, one of the things that the folks at SG&G pointed out to me is that, look, this is not happening overnight. You're not talking about every truck becoming electric overnight. It's going to be phased in. The projects are relatively small. You've got some fleets out there that are very aggressive and are getting ahead of things and, and know how to run the numbers and, and essentially you know, uh, do very well from an incentive perspective. Then you've got some that are just now becoming aware of things. Uh, we, we saw this because the, uh, the fleet rule was passed on, on Friday, the 27th of April. And the next Monday, this big uh, event called the Advanced Clean Transportation Expo opened it was the talk of the of the event, 12,000 people, and a lot of them probably like deer in the headlights. They didn't know what was coming, and, and here it is, and it's on top of them. So again, though, the, the implementation is going to be relatively slow. You're not going to see, you know, thousands and thousands of trucks uh, or, you know, huge drains on the grid right away. It's going to be, you know, measured implementation. Well, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, especially over the course of these next uh, 23 years. Uh, or so. All right, let me break everybody back in for a final question, because uh, obviously this is a tremendous issue. And one of the big questions, of course, is feasibility. So given California's plan to be carbon neutral by 2045 with all these new regulations, will they make it? And if not, when do you think they will? John Gallagher, let me kick it to you first. 
Uh, I I think I think I would tend to think they will make it. Um, the from what I understand, the the OEMs they're they're pretty much on board with this now. It, it's as has been discussed now initially in terms of the, the the adoption will be slow, and if it's not challenged somehow, I don't know about California, but I know, I know as I mentioned with the with the AP, EPA rule that could be challenged. Now, obviously, if it's challenged, yeah, I could push back that twenty forty five date, but. Um, it, the, the problem is it's going to be slow and, and the, and the trucking companies are not going to be able to recoup their investment it, at least in, in, initially because it's, okay. it's a market. Let me, let me move on. So was, um, let me move on because I'm really short on time here. Kingston, what do you, what do you say? Are they going to make it or are they going to be late? Yeah, I tend to be cynical because I've seen a lot of these before <laughs> regulations that were going to bring about the apocalypse that did not in turn, in fact, bring about the apocalypse and the industries that were affected did actually meet them. This is so huge. That if anything, I'd be a little more skeptical of this because you got to do, as I said before, trucks, fleets, and distribution systems, charging systems. So this is really so ambitious. Um, I, I do think the key to this is hydrogen and, and how well it does. There's a lot of smart people working on hydrogen right now, so I think that makes it possible. But you know, we're not going to have Class A truck uh, tractors run on batteries. It's, it just can't be done. So hydrogen is the key. We really need that to work. Right so quickly. I would say the biggest challenge here is trying to scale up that utility side of things, even if we can get those manufacturers and the charging depots quickly built in the next, uh, I guess, 11, 12 years. Okay. Definitely trying to scale up the utility is a challenge. Alan, you got 10 seconds. Okay. Um, there's going to be ch legal challenges. The legal challenges are going to lose because CARB never loses. Doesn't mean you're not going to have any diesel trucks after 2040, but you're not going to have that many of them. It's going to be fun. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Freight Waves Presents.